This Week in Startups is brought to you by Vanta. Compliance and security shouldn't be a deal breaker for startups to win new business. Vanta makes it easy for companies to get a SOC 2 report fast. Twist listeners can get $1,000 off for a limited time at vanta.com slash twist. LinkedIn Marketing. To redeem a free $100 LinkedIn ad credit and launch your first campaign, go to linkedin.com slash thisweekinstartups. And Fiverr. Find the perfect freelance services for your business. Go to fiverr.com and use code TWIST to receive 10% off your first order. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to This Week in Startups, the podcast where we talk about building startup companies. And here in Silicon Valley, there are two individuals uh, who are considered, really three, uh, who are considered the greatest operators of all time. Uh, One would be Sheryl Sandberg from Google fame uh, and also Facebook. Uh, You got Keith Raboy, gets a lot of credit for Square and um, some other companies that he's co-founded and operated within. And of course, there's David Sachs, who was the COO of PayPal, created Yammer, which was the quickest SaaS billion-dollar unicorn sale ever, going from zero to over $50 million in revenues in about four years. I think I have that number correct. You know him. He's one of my best friends in the world. Uh, and he is now making his one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh appearance on This Week in Startups. You can see his first one. He was actually episode five back in May of 2009. Thank you for doing it back in the day when nobody knew what podcasting was. Uh, and you can find... A, a large range of these, but David, like myself, is focused on investing in companies, and he co-founded um, and is the general partner of Craft Ventures, which has, I believe, three funds and over 700, 800 million under management. He'll correct me uh, in a moment, um, and it's become, I would say, easily top seven venture capital firm in terms of venture capital uh, founders asking me for introductions, and then when it comes to SaaS, specifically software as a service, Really, David is one of two that I, I get asked, um, along with Jason Lemkin, who does a great job and runs the Saster Conference. Uh, David, welcome back to the program. Yeah, good to good to be here. I see you're getting some light reading, and for those of you watching <laughs> the video, I see. I, I know there's so many nuggets in that book behind you that you need multiple copies to write all the notes and the side notes. But uh, thank you for that. For those yeah. of you listening, he's got a stack of 50 copies of Angel behind him, which is hilarious. Uh, well done. Uh, so just correct me if I if I got anything wrong there. Craft is, yeah. you're on the third so, fund. Yeah. Well, there we go. There we go. Um, there we go, Craft. Let me, let me promote myself for a second. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> it's Craft logo. Yeah. So yeah, Craft, we're on fund two. It's a $500 million fund. We you know do classic early stage venture, uh, seed, series A, series B. And um, three funds. You know, we're, on, we're on our second. The first one was three fifty, so it's eight hundred fifty million total. Great. And uh, yeah, and you know, um, like you said, I we do consumer SaaS and marketplaces primarily, and I tend to focus on bottom up SaaS. But what does bottom up SaaS mean? It's it's SaaS. It's business software where the users or the employees of the company pull the software into the company like a consumer would. So it's kind of consumerized business software. And that was the that was the go-to-market strategy or the idea that Yammer really pioneered about, you know, a dozen years ago. Um, 
we were a bunch of consumer internet guys, you know, me after PayPal, um, I had done consumer who decided to attack, you know, business software and we didn't really know anything about it. But in those days, business software was distributed via a sales team and it was done through the IT department. And, um, our idea was that we can make it viral and kind of go over the heads of the IT department. This eventually became known as shadow IT. And we sort of pioneered this concept of, you know, consumerized business. Yeah. I mean, in the old days, Oracle was famous for having the greatest sales training program in Silicon Valley, where they would try to sell some chief technology officer, chief information officer on some $10 million a year license. And then everybody in the company found out one day, okay, we use an Oracle or okay, one day we're using IBM or whatever it was. And then because the software was subscription-based and you didn't have to install anything on a server, people could log into a website and just start using it. So there were a couple right. of different pieces there that allowed it, right? Yeah, the prerequisite was um, software moving to the cloud. Um, you know, back in the early 2000s, it was still all, you know, on-premise. It had to be physically installed on a server behind the firewall. And once that requirement got lifted because, you know, software moved to the cloud you could then have users or employees in the company just start adopting it like they would any other product. Uh, yeah. But that was a big that was a big change. So we're sitting here today in 2020, uh, and it's very easy to start a company in the SaaS space. However, what is really hard is to scale it. And you and I see this right. all the time, uh, me as an early seed stage investor and you as a seed Series A, Series B investors just slightly down the road. We overlap a bit there. Um, but you wrote a phenomenal piece, um, which it resonated so deeply with me. And I don't do this often, but when I see a piece that's written by an expert that gives actual practical advice, that's not some rehash bullshit that I see all the time on Medium, I immediately say, hey, can you come on the podcast and can we just chop it up into pieces and walk people through it step by step? And the, the title of the piece is, you think you need a COO, a chief, uh, chief operating officer, which you were one of the elite ones here in Silicon Valley. Um, but what you say here in the headline is, what you really need is an operating philosophy. So I want to get right into this with right. you. Um, so I'm sure you have had this experience. I've had this experience. You're at the board meeting the startup starts feeling like it's coming apart at the seams and it's it's basically chaos, right? I think right. you used the word shit show in your piece right. in the first sentence. Um, so somebody raises their hand and says, we need a COO. You're saying you don't need a CEO. What you need is an operating philosophy. So explain what the right. operating philosophy we're talking about here is that you explain. And if you type in, you think you need a COO, what you really need is an operating philosophy into Google, you'll find this or it's in the show notes. Right. So the, yeah, the, the title of the piece is the cadence, and it's about how you put your startup on an operating cadence to reduce the sense of chaos and um, synchronize all of the efforts of the employee so that it's not you know a shit show. Um, and this is this um, is specifically meant for startups that are scaling from say fifty employees to five hundred employees. Um, that's the, the the time period when this really matters. In the early days of a startup, the biggest problem is not you know, sort of how to reign in the chaos is just how to find product market fit. Um, that's a separate blog post I wrote. You can check it out called <laughs> the wilderness period. Uh, but this blog post, the cadence is about how you, once you do find product market fit, how you, how do you scale the company in an elegant way 
so that you can solidify the you know the 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 initial traction that you have and um you know and, and to scale this thing without it degenerating into just chaos and, and when you're under 30 people in my experience everybody's in the same room everybody's in the same you know earshot of each other so you haven't broken up into tribes you haven't broken up into functions uh as explicitly and even if you had you, you know you, you can kind of sit in on each other's meetings once you get past 50 right. and you got 20 people, there's no conference room. And if you did have a conference room big enough, it's chaos, correct? Right. So, right. So th this is what happens is that in the early days, in the beginning of a startup, everybody is in the same room, either physically or virtually, you know, in the days of COVID. Uh, as a result, everybody knows what everybody else is doing. Everybody is pretty much a generalist. And the founders run around telling everybody what to do and what to build. And that's the way the startup works in that seed stage all the way to, say, Series A. But around 50 employees, that approach stops scaling because there's just too many people uh, in the company for the founders to just sort of tell them what to do on a task level. And so you start setting objectives. Uh, you have to start managing teams and people. And you start divvying up the organization. You start breaking up the org chart into silos and uh, functional areas. You've got to – you'll create a team for sales and customer support and, and – um, you know, obviously, you know, R&D, engineering, um, marketing, and and then you'll also hire your first product managers. And so you'll go from the product roadmap being dictated ad hoc by the, the sort of the founder CEO to, uh, you know, the, the founders have to work through product managers to, to guide the development of the startup. And so this is sort of the fundamental change as you get above 50 employees on your way to, to say, 500. And, you know, what what typically happens is that because of this, these new functional silos in the company, it starts to feel very compartmentalized. And, um, and so people kind of feel isolated or disconnected. Hmm. And at the same time, you've got other functions which are underdeveloped. They may not have mature leadership yet. They may not have any leadership yet. And so you've got other functions that, you know, just aren't quite working. And the result of this sort of disorganization and disconnect is chaos. And so the cadence is designed to describe my operating philosophy that I started using at PayPal as COO, kind of figured it out there, and then I adapted it for SaaS at Yammer. And it's a sort of an operating philosophy I think everybody can use, and it basically tells you how to organize the four major functions of a SaaS startup and then how to synchronize them. Okay, so when we get back from this quick break, uh, we are going to go over those four uh, groups in the company and then how to establish this cadence and i'm going to crack open a cold course right now because it's friday and uh, there's nothing like i nothing i love more than responsibly having a crisp course light on the pod uh, when we get back more with sex mm. all right everybody if you don't have your sock 2 compliance buttoned up well you're not going to be able to close those giant enterprise customers. It's really that simple. And if you already have a SOC 2 report, don't you want to make it easier to maintain it year after year after year? Of course you do. Well, Vantas Compliance Software makes it easier to get and to renew your SOC 2. Their software continuously tests against technical and non-technical SOC 2 requirements. And they partner with over two dozen audit firms who have been trained to file SOC 2 reports directly within Vanta. The average 20 to 50 person company is SOC 2 ready with Vanta in just two to four weeks. Compare that with three to five months without Vanta. 
With Vanta, you can connect your tools and infrastructure and continuously monitor for risks and vulnerabilities. And you're going to be able to fix issues fast with actionable guidance. Avoid anxious on-site visits from auditors and never again have to prove compliance with manually captured screenshots. Oh my God, you're never going to have to do that if you just use Vanta. Companies like Notion, which we love, Lattice, user testing, and hundreds of others have successfully gotten their SOC 2 reports with Vanta in weeks, not months. And we are on startup time here. Months? No. Weeks? Yes. Launch portfolio company Lead IQ said they couldn't imagine having to go through SOC 2 compliance without Vanta. And they are one of our fastest growing companies. They're doing incredible. So don't hurt your revenue and frustrate your sales team because you aren't SOC 2 compliant. Get it done, people. Here is your call to action. Unlock those sales and give your employees time back to their calendars to work on more important issues. This is an incredible offer. They're giving our Twist listeners here exclusively $1,000 on a discount to their subscription. Just go to vanta.com slash twist. That's vanta, V-A-N-T-A dot com slash twist, T-W-I-S-T, for $1,000 off. What a great deal. Thanks to Vanta for supporting independent media like This Week in Startups. All right, David Sachs is on the podcast, um, and we're talking about his recent Medium post. You think you need a COO? What you really need is an operating philosophy, and we're going to chop it all up. You know, I was just thinking, uh, what precipitated you? Cre- you said you, you you implemented this at PayPal. Was there a moment that precipitated this where PayPal really became chaotic and felt like it was coming off the rails, and you said, you know what, we need something, or was it just an eventual, you know, evolution? Well, PayPal definitely felt that way. I mean, it definitely felt chaotic. And eventually, I got promoted to COO to rein in that chaos. Um, and so we, you know, over the course of that, that was kind of my first startup experience, we learned how to, um, how to manage a, a, you know, a startup that has hundreds of employees, and um, still wants to be very productive and, you know, ship and sell and, you know, all those kinds of things. So Peter um, Thiel is trying to keep it together, and, but th- there's only one Peter Thiel to go around. You've, only, you've got nobody who's actually creating this operating philosophy or, or, or acting. Well, Peter, yeah, I mean, Peter, um, you know, P- Peter w- was never very interested in being kind of um, a- an operator per se. He was always interested in more of the financial side. He's, he's a great strategist, um, tremendous strategist, but he was, you know, very happy to kind of hand off a lot of the internal operations. Um, and then when I got to Yammer, I took a lot of the things I learned. Like I said, I adapted it for a SaaS startup. Um, you know, the main difference being that SaaS startups need a sales team. And so we learned you know, how to do enterprise sales. And then you know, in order to enable the sales team, you need a marketing team, knows how to create the right kind of collateral, um, and so on. And so we sort of adapted this, uh, this operating philosophy. Again, I call it the cadence. Uh, for a SaaS company, and you know, at, at, at Yammer, I was basically my own COO. I didn't, we didn't have a COO at Yammer, and it it worked quite, quite, it worked fine. Okay, so we mentioned uh, there were four different key components of this: you, mm-hmm. sales and marketing. Uh, some people consider that the same thing, but you break it into two pieces that are right. that are kind of sharing the the bunk beds. There, I, I would I would assume. Yeah. So yeah, sales. And, so I identify four functions that I think are critical at a SaaS startup. There are sales and marketing, but there's also product management um, and uh, finance, ah. and those are really the four key functions. Um, now, 
sales and marketing are related, but they're actually in, in my system, they're on very different schedules. Um, so the, the, the first, the, there's a few sort of key insights to the, to the cadence. Okay. So one is that you have the four key functional areas that I've just mentioned. The second is that sales and finance are on the same calendar. Okay. And, and all four of these functions are best run on a quarterly cycle. That's one of the things we should get into, but they all make more sense. They run more harmoniously on a quarterly cycle, but it's not the same quarterly cycle. Sales and finance are on one cycle and then product and marketing are on another cycle. And you actually want to offset those two cycles by about half a quarter. But when you snap them together with that offset, that is what creates a single operating cadence for the whole company. And once you have that, you can then define your events, your all hands meetings, uh, you can create, you know, again, this this operating rhythm to the company that, you know, alleviates this feeling of chaos and disorganization. So most people would say, okay, everybody's on the same quarter and we're going to have a quarterly review. Sales goes up first. You know, marketing talks about what they did to drive that product, tells us what's going on. And finance tells us if we're still in business and how many months of runway we get. You're saying put two uh, in between what would be the traditional quarters of, you know, January to, to the end of March, put one of those right on February 15th. Right. You actually don't want to light everybody's hair on fire at the same time. Ah. So, so finance and sales are going to be on the same calendar, and that is going to be the fiscal calendar. Okay. And so the fiscal calendar, every company as an accounting requirement has a fiscal year and they'll have fiscal quarters. Mm. And so the first question you have to answer is, well, you know, what, what is my fiscal year end going to be? Mm. Um, you know, most companies default having a December 31st year end, but for a sales driven SaaS company, it can often make sense to have the calendar and the, the fiscal year end on January 31st for the simple reason that you don't want to be closing out the year during that sort of holiday period, that Christmas to New Year's period. It can be pretty rough on your sales team to be trying to close out the number, trying to hit your number for the entire year during that ah. during that holiday week. And so what I recommend for most sales-driven SaaS companies, they actually have a January 31st fiscal year. Which can be confusing um, if you don't know it, but it just alleviates that brutal right. uh, thing where the salespeople come to you and they're like, I could have closed this, but it was Christmas and they're going to sign right. it. but. And, right. and it's just dumb that they, they're they're forced it's, to sprint when everybody right. else leaves on the nineteenth. Right. It's it's inhumane for your sales reps, and also smart customers know to demand discounts during that last week of the year because they know everyone's scrambling mm. to try and make some number that they've promised the board. Oh. So I just generally find that it's better to kind of like opt out of that whole thing and just have your fiscal year end on January thirty first. So you got November, it, you, December, January is Q four. Yes, exactly. February first is Q one. I love it. That's right. So Q1 is February, March, April, and so on down the line. Okay. So that's the first thing you do. Now, the reason why sales is on that same calendar is because you want your fiscal quarters and your sales quarters to be, you know, snapped together. When your board reviews your quarters, your, you know, the, it reviews the data that your finance team puts together, you don't want to be you don't want to be reporting out half-baked sales numbers, right? Yeah, you want to see a complete quarter sales activity to know uh, how the sales team did. And so what you're going to do is you're going to put your sales team on a quarterly plan that coincides with your fiscal quarters. So, you know, on a, say, a January 31st year end, you're going to have February, March, April will be your first quarter sales plan. And, 
you know, what I mean by sales plan is when you think about the quotas for your sales team, you know, they're going to be quarterly quotas that end on, you know, at the end of April and, and so on down the line. So if you say, hey, we want to hit a million dollars in Q1, we have 10 account executives, everybody's responsible for $100,000 in AR in Q1, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's a little more in Q2 and a little more in Q3, right. et cetera. When you report your financials, you can actually predict the financial need of the business in, vis-a-vis fundraising, mm-hmm. and you know, hey, we're one hundred five, we're one hundred and ten percent on plan, or we're ninety percent on plan, and ca- this right. is and where I, the cash runs out because that's the other thing is you have everybody starts gaming the board. I don't know if you've been in this board meeting where the sales team is sandbagging or exaggerating mm-hmm. with the pipeline, the finance team can't get a handle, so they get conservative, and everybody's kind of finger pointing, right? Right. So what you want to do is, um, well, this is partly why sales and finance need to be synchronized or coordinated, right? Is the quarter begins. Um, I think every fiscal short quarter should begin with a sales kickoff where you bring your whole sales organization together and you ha- hand out their new sales plans. And the sales plan is going to contain their territory, it's going to contain their quotas and their commission rates. And if there's any spiffs or objectives, that it will all get handed out at the beginning of the quarter. Explain and a spiff, by the way. A spiff is just an objective where the company says, "Okay, we want to, you know, we want to um, incentivize the sales team to 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 do something." It may be a non financial goal. Got um, it. So if we get mm-hmm. to if we hit any of these ten lighthouse customers, high profile right. customers, everybody on the team gets an extra thousand bucks. Right. Or we want to encourage engagement at customers. And that may not immediately translate into higher revenue, but it's still a valuable objective for for the company. Got it. Um, so, so it could be something like that. But the the important thing generally are the the quotas and territories and commissions. Um, and you want to you, you want to put your sales reps on a quarterly plan because, well, it's most we, mostly by process of elimination. Annual plans don't let you adjust things enough in a startup. They're too slow. Yep, And then monthly plans are too volatile. The sales results are just too volatile for an individual rep on a monthly basis. And so you generally want to put your sales reps on quarterly quotas. And, you know, for the startup that is doing everything ad hoc and the founders are just running around telling the sales reps what to do and they're constantly changing the sales reps, quotas and territories, putting them on a written quarterly plan will instantly make the whole sales team feel better. They'll feel like the goalposts aren't being arbitrarily changed. Right. And um, and it'll, it'll boost their morale. And so you want to put them on these quarterly plans and you want these quarters to be synced to your fiscal, to your fiscal and year. Quarterly is great because, like you're saying, not too short, not too long. Right. Um, because sometimes sales executives are very interesting creatures in terms of management. Incentives actually manage, matter to them more than anybody. Right. They pick that profession because they like the incentive. They like breaking the incentive. Right. So if it's yearly, you know, um, it's too, it's just too long. The, feed, the feedback, the feedback loop is too, is too long. Yeah. And I if mean, everybody you, crushes it, you're the manager. Let's say everybody crushes the quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're on a yearly plan, well, maybe they're going to all ease off in Q2. Whereas right. you can change the right. quota for Q2 reasonably because you told them you were going to. Hey, great job. Right. Everybody was at 120%. The reward for being at 120% is you got that extra 20% spiff. Q2, yeah, it's going to be a little bit higher. We did great Q1. So now you get to change it without it feeling like it was an unfair change where you pulled the rug out from under them or, as right. you said, move the goalposts. Right. Am exactly. I correct? 
Yes. And too many startups do that where they're just constantly changing things on the sales team and it undermines the morale of the sales team. And that's why moving to this idea of a quarterly plan Mm. uh, with defined milestones. So starts with sales kickoff and then that's the first month of the quarter. And then the second month of the quarter, you'll typically have a lot of pipeline inspections. Mm. And then the third month of the quarter is this heads down period where people are really focused on putting their deals over the top and uh, and hitting their numbers. Let's talk and, about and sales reps like that routine. They like yeah. that routine. Kickoff. Yes. Pipeline inspection and yes. heads down. Let's close. Pipeline yes. inspection. Explain. Yeah. So, one of the biggest issues I see with in startups, uh, you know, that haven't kind of nailed the sales function is that they never know how much business they're going to close in a quarter. Mm. Right. It's like to your point. It's that sales forecast that is never correct. And Never correct. one way or the other, one way or the other. Yeah. And, and, and so inspection is really the art, um, really by a sales leader, mm. uh, to ask the right questions of the team to come up with a reliable forecast or estimate in terms of what they're going to do, uh, that quarter. And there's software to do this now where you, we track, for example, just for the sales of ads for this podcast, we track, um, you know, everybody's uh, deals, uh, one, the, you know, a proposal's been sent out, uh, a demo has been done, or a phone call has been done, and and sometimes people grade leads as hot, warm, cold. What yeah. is the best practice for a SaaS company in terms of the different status of a client, and then where do the sales executives get cued and maybe massage that you have yeah. to undo that investigation? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So- so Salesforce, you know, it's the default CRM system. Yep. They will let you define or it will let you define the stages of a deal. And then the sales reps will kind of advance the deal. And then typically those stages will have a percent probability assigned to them. And so you can come up with a weighted pipe. Um, but that's what a sales rep will do. It's really up to the sales leader to conduct the inspection on those deals so that um, so that you actually can make sure that those um, estimates are are reliable. And what a good sales leader will do is ask the right questions like, you know, who exactly are you talking to in this organization? Is this the decision maker or they merely have influence? Are they simply a, a champion? Um, do they have budget? Where is the budget coming from? You know, uh, if IT is a stakeholder in the decision, have they uh, approved us yet? You know, Mm. do we have, have we passed security review? Have they sent us security questionnaires? Um, You know, are we, are we talking to the CFO yet? Like, you know, are we talking procurement? I mean, there's all these telltale signs. And so like what an inexperienced sales rep will do is, and I experienced this, is they'll come running over to the founder and say, oh my God, I've got a million dollar deal. We're going to close it. Right. And, and you know, then you find out, well, wait, you know, w- what they've really got is they had one good conversation with a low-level champion at a giant enterprise. And that, you know, that low-level champion loves the product and would love to see their Fortune 500 company buying it, but they don't really have the clout to make it happen. All right. So and, now we have, mm-hmm. we have nailed the sales and the finance part. When we get back from this quick break, Let's talk a little bit about product and marketing and why you would bundle those together in the six-week period between the financial quarters when we get back with David Sachs, COO of, uh, you know, uh, one of the best CEOs, I, I think, of all time in Silicon Valley when we get back on this week in startups. Imagine you're about to launch a marketing campaign and it tested really well. 
the team is really happy, and everything is going according to plan. Except for that one thought in the back of your head. How do I ensure the people I want to target will be in the mindset to receive my message, right? You got to get the right person at the right time. Well, the answer is LinkedIn. You know that. When you market on LinkedIn, your message reaches people who are ready to do business. That means your campaign will work as hard as it can as soon as you launch it. No waiting, no games, no wasted audience, you know, reaching the wrong people. Nope. There are over 62 million decision makers on LinkedIn and they mean business. That's why over 78% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as the most effective social media platform for reaching their objectives. Um, and you can engage people you already know based on who's visited your site or people who you've contacted in the past. Sometimes you got to hit the same person with a message three, four, five times and then boom. You get them online for the demo and you close that sale. So here is your call to action. Do business where business is done. And that's LinkedIn. And get $100, 100, the hundy, from your boy J-Cal in advertising credits for your first LinkedIn campaign. That's right. If you've never tried this before, $100, you got nothing to lose. Just get in there and visit LinkedIn.com. That's easy. It's in or it's already in your toolbar. Slash. This week in startups, plural. LinkedIn.com slash this week in startups, and you will get that hundred dollars in credit. Terms and conditions do apply because they're giving you a hundred bucks, okay? So thanks again to LinkedIn Marketing. You solved so many problems for me and the team here, and I really do appreciate that. We were in fact I could tell you the story. We're doing Angel University, and man, we're we're finding a lot of people, high net worth individuals who want to come to my angel.university class thanks to LinkedIn marketing. So go get that hundy. LinkedIn.com slash This Week in Startups. Thanks again, LinkedIn. You, you support everything we do, and I really do appreciate that. All right, let's get back to this amazing episode. All right, welcome back to This Week in Startups. We have the honor and privilege of having Mr. David Sachs on the program for the seventh time. This has only happened with five guests, by the way, for those of you counting at home. It's very rare that somebody has been on the program. Uh, in this case, getting close to being on the program uh, once a year, uh, essentially. But you know, some folks are busy, uh, like Mr. Sachs. Uh, great. I really feel like I you know, I deeply understand the finance and the sales piece. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, marketing, I thought marketing was supposed to be with sales. Now, you've broken it and put it on a different mm -hmm. cadence. Why? Well, sales feeds off marketing. Okay. But marketing feeds off product. Okay. Mm. So that's why, that's why marketing is on the same cadence as product. It's amazing. Because like just saying that. I, right. It's so logical, but nobody's written that down. It's it's so obvious. Product gives marketing something to market, and then marketing gives those leads to, to sales. sales. Yeah. So 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 basically, in a startup, most news that a startup generates will somehow be product news, right? Sure. So marketing feeds off product. Product it gives marketing the grist for the mill. Mm. Um, if the startup stops shipping. You know the 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 mark the news starts becoming kind of fake and manufactured, right? Um, oh, we had a know, hire, we hired somebody, or right. we raised money. It's not we released this new feature right. that is going to blow you away. You need That's a demo right. of this feature. Startup news should really be product centric, right? Because if you're not shipping great product, what's the point? Yeah, I mean it's 
it's it's innovate or die, right? I mean, and this is mm-hmm. why our friend uh, Elon is just, or Steve Jobs, they or or, or Benioff, you know, they, right. they've become incredibly good at this cadence mm-hmm. of releasing product after product. Now, some of them are duds, some of them are not important, some of them fall flat, but some of them, like the Cybertruck, people won't right. shut up about. Okay, so that that's a great point. Those are the examples I give in my blog. Yes. Um, and here's the trick that they figured out is that you need to have a launch event um, to it. focus the world's attention. So just putting out a press release is not good enough. It doesn't penetrate the clutter. You have to combine a live demo of your new product. And then, you know, you add other things. You talk about new customer logos. You talk about your growing market share. You talk about financing news. You can include, um, you know, the new metrics or milestones that you've hit. You can include partners in the announcement, in customer stories and anecdotes. All of that matters, and you can include it. But the heart of it, it always starts, it revolves around a live product demo. Mm. And so what we're really talking about here is a launch event. And, you know, if you think about like what Benioff does with Dreamforce every year, um, I mean, it's, you know, Dreamforce is a launch event. I mean, they do all the other stuff, too. There's partners and customers and all of it, but they're always presenting a ton of new products. Which is Um, a forcing function for the product team. So now the marketing team has said, we rented this space. We put our... Uh, asses on the line. We got skin in the game. Right. We need to show something. Right. When Elon says we are doing the Model 3, you know, or the Cybertruck unveiling on such and such a date, and, you know, we've been to some of those things that we get the invitations in advance, like, the engineers have to hit that. They can't miss it. Um, no, there could be there. There has to be a Cybertruck at the Cybertruck launch. Right, right, right. And so those those events, those launch events, get scheduled months in advance, and the invitations go out. The press, there's a press announcement, and so the whole company. I mean, starting with the leader, puts their you know butts on the line to hit that launch date. Skin in the game, and, just like the, the sales yeah. team. Right, the sales team has skin in the right. game because they got that quarterly review. If you don't hit your number, now you're on a, a PIP, a performance improvement plan. You don't hit your number two quarters in a row, you're out. Right? Is that how you ran right. it? Um, yeah. I mean, what what what's what's really helpful about sales is you get customer feedback right away, mm. right? So, yeah. like, if the if the customer's not buying what you're selling, you find out real quick yep. and you can make adjustments. And the great thing about a launch event is it works the same way. I mean, if people hate it. You're going to find out really quickly, and that's a good dynamic to have. Um, now, a lot scary. of founders don't want to, It's scary. A lot of founders are too scared that they might hear something they don't want to hear. Um, but I think, yeah. but that's a bad, that that's not, it's, it's better to just get the news. Um, you know, the other thing that I think a lot of founders are scared of, you know, what they'll say in response to this is, well, no one's going to show up at our event. They're worried they're going to declare it. They're going to build it. No one will come. And, you know, my experience with Yammer, even in the second year, of Yammer, uh, as a startup, we were able to fill a hotel ballroom and get people to go to our user conference. And so you'd be surprised. I mean, again, we're talking about startups that are at that 50 to 500 yeah. employee stage. And so they've raised a series A or B or C. And, you know, if they've done that, there's enough of a community of support that they can rally that community and fill, you know, a, you know, a room. Now, in today's 
sort of post-COVID environment, it may not, it's not going to be a hotel ballroom anymore. It's going to be a virtual event, a virtual conference. That's fine. It could just be a web, you know, a webinar. You're not going to have a giant user event every quarter. Uh, you know, you may just have some sort of webinar and that's, that's fine. What's really important is that you have an audience so you can get, see what the reaction is and that you set the date in advance mm. and send out the invitations because it's not just about the external benefit of generating all that positive marketing. It's about the internal benefit of motivating the team to hit a deadline that you specify in advance. Which is and, the point of this blog post, which is why mm-hmm. it resonates so deeply, I think, with me and many people is, you know, you're trying to reduce chaos, So to reduce chaos and make people feel good, you have to introduce some accountability. Accountability, uh, which is called the date and, you know, uh, manifests itself with the date uh, or the sales target. Accountability actually reduces chaos. And and that's a what I would I would assume you would think is a healthy stress of being at a startup. Yes. It, it, it increases accountability. It also increases transparency because everyone knows what they're working towards. Mm-hmm. We know that two and a half months from now, we're all going to be convened together at this user conference and we're going to have to, you know, deliver. And so everyone's working towards the same goal. And that creates, you know, a tremendous amount of, um, it synchronizes everybody. It creates, you know, a lot of esprit de corps. Uh, and uh, for those of you who don't speak French, esprit de corps <laughs> means uh, I think you're spirited to your core. Like call it fellowship, right? It Everyone is. feels free decor like means the spirit of the group, right? Yeah. So you you all feel like you're you're working on the same team, right? Kind of like the Super Bowl effect, you know. The Super Bowl is coming. The amount of hype of the Super Bowl, they give it that nice like I don't know if it's three weeks up until the the Super Bowl. You get this nice like energy building towards it. Um, thinking about a small company that's releasing you know, every six months or something. Uh, And it's, and it's new, it's in year one or two. Would it not in today's COVID webinar environment where you can not show how many people showed up, why not start this? You know, if, if the, if the clubhouse, which is the hottest startup right now in, in the consumer space, if clubhouse just said on, you know, October 1st, we're going to be opening to the public. We're going to show three new features. And they did it in a webinar and, and 10 or 100 people show up. Who cares? It at least has the yeah. same effect. So what would you say to a, a, a year one startup if they wanted to do something like this? Well, it might, it might be, end up being too much structure for a first year startup. Um, th- there are advantages to, you know, when you're, say, a 10 person team, just having the founder uh, telling everybody what to do and building very quickly. And you're doing, you know, one or two week sprints. And because you're, co- you're just basically throwing spaghetti against the wall, seeing what sticks, uh, you're iterating towards product market fit. Um, mm. And so, you know, maintaining that very fluid, highly experimental approach is probably the right approach for, um, Got it. you know, that, that pre-product market fit startup. Now, you could do what I'm saying. Uh, it wouldn't be necessarily a bad thing, but I don't know that you need all of the structure that I'm introducing. But like I said, around 50 employees, um, it's just too big for you know, it starts becoming too much for the founders just to uh, manage in an ad hoc way. And certainly as you get to hundreds of employees, you need some sort of unifying structure for the company. Okay. And any other advice in that marketing department uh, that uh, is a best practice for a SaaS company? Like what is in state of the art today mm -hmm. in 2020 that didn't exist in, you know, in the Yammer day that's, you know, certainly didn't exist in the PayPal days because things do change over time. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think 
the the whole idea of of being of this sort of event driven marketing is still fundamentally correct. Uh, I think the change right now is just going to be more virtual events, right? Um, but 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 again, remember that like the, the key thing from from my point of view is that the the launch event has both an external benefit and an internal benefit. The external benefit is you create what's sort of a, more of a lightning strike marketing event, right? Mm-hmm. Like just putting out a press release doesn't really get it done. What you want to do is as a big lightning strike where you get the whole world focused on you for, you know, a couple of days. Um, that's what Benioff is or Elon is, they have done brilliantly with their, their events. And then internally, you know, the one thing I would just add is obviously it's very motivating for the team to send their CEO on stage to showcase a new product, but it's also a really good thought exercise for the, leaders of the company for the CEO, starting with the CEO to think about, they, they have to think about, well, wait, in two months, I'm getting on stage. What am I going to be talking about? What am I going to be announcing? Why is it going to matter? Right. You know, why if should the audience write, care? Yeah. And if you write that script, you know, th- right. there was a great thing that uh, Jeff Bezos makes his people do, which is write the press release right, uh, for the product they want to build. Right? right. In this case, Having people, I just thought of this, it's kind of the new version of it, forcing the leader, the CEO, to actually give the product demo with just, you know, with, you know, fake slides. Right. And say, how would, you know, the Wall Street Journal, how would TechCrunch, how would, you know, our top 10 customers receive this? Do people even do that? No. And, you know, and it's... uh you know, it's a really good thought experiment to think about, you know, why, why, why is anyone going to care when we uh, showcase these products? Um, now, you know, what a lot of founders would say is, well, we're doing business software. So it's just not that, you know, interesting. Um, you know, it's not like Tesla where they, they do the, you know, these really sexy products. But again, I would say, well, look at, look at Salesforce. I mean, that's CRM software. It's, you know, it's pretty dry as far, you know, it's not. Yeah. I mean, it, how salespeople track their sales. Right. No offense, exactly. Salesforce. It's essential. Right. It's important. Right. Uh, I'm not right. sure where it so, sits in the right. Parthenon so, of exciting. That's right. And so what Benioff shows that is that everybody can do it. I mean, not everyone's as good at Benioff. I think he's uniquely good at it. But you can still achieve a lot by emulating what what they do. And and the thing to think about is why is what we're going to ship in two or three months and announce this launch event, why is this going to matter? Okay, and so you have to start justifying that. That's an important segue into product. So right. when we get back from this quick break, we're going to get to that fourth piece of the puzzle as we're building this structure here uh, with David Sachs and talk about product best practices when we get back on this week's service. Been a crazy couple of months. We all know that, and the way we are working now is completely different than it was at the start of the year. And if there is one thing we have learned, it's having access to the right resources is essential when you need to adapt your business. And we're all doing a lot of adapting. And finding the right talent is time-consuming, frustrating, and it's expensive. And that's where Fiverr can help. Fiverr's marketplace connects businesses with freelancers offering hundreds of digital services. You know the digital services. Maybe you need to do ad buying. Maybe you need to do design. Maybe you need a developer, uh, web programming. Maybe you need to edit that video. Well, Fiverr's got those graphic designers. They've got those copywriters. They've got those programmers sitting there waiting. You can customize your search by service, deadline, price, reviews, and more. Maybe you've got plenty of time to get this done. Maybe it needs to be done in the next 48 hours, right? You could set that in the search parameters. And when you put your job up on Fiverr, 
and you know what you're going to pay for up front. So there's no surprises and, and no uh, shenanigans. And of course, you get their amazing 24-7 customer service and a network of just supremely talented, quality individuals uh, and freelancers. We've used Fiverr at launch. We've had great success from web developers uh, for our event websites. They've done a great job for us. Graphic designers on our portfolio uh, company, Pitch Decks. That's where we've had some great uh, experience. And it makes all the difference in the world. Fiverr has always been there to supply experience, talent immediately for us. And I mean immediately. It's just amazing how fast this is. It's designed really for startups. It's that fast. So check out Fiverr.com, F-I-V-E-R-R. There's two R's in Fiverr.com. And you will receive 10% off your first order just by using the offer code TWIST, T-W-I-S-T. Find all the digital services you need in one place at F-I-V-E-R-R.com, Fiverr with two R's, dot com slash twist. Again, that's Fiverr.com slash twist. Thanks again to Fiverr for solving a lot of the problems we have at our startup companies and at our firm and for the generous offer of 10% off. That does mean a lot to us. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to This Week in Startups. We've got David Sachs with us. Are you, You're at David Sachs on Twitter? Or Dio yes. Sachs. Yeah, David Sachs on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have a SaaS company and you want to have uh, one of the greats on your cap table, I can tell you there is no better investor for your company uh, than David Sachs. And he is David at craftventures.com. I'm certain nobody else stole your email address. <laughs> um, and and you open your emails. When a SaaS person sends you an email, you, you open it, right? Yeah, I do. I mean, you know, I may... Have forwarded. someone on the team look at it if it's not referred by somebody I know, but um, but yeah, we will we will get them. Now, when you open that email, mm-hmm. what emails have you? What have you seen in the top of an email above the fold for a SaaS company that makes you say, you know, to you know the great Laney or uh, you know whoever on your team, uh, get them, you know, Billy, whoever, just get on it. What do you right. see on the top half of the email? Um, it's, uh, typically we want to see, I, I'd say like month over month growth rate is mm. a pretty important thing to see. Got it. I mean, that would definitely get our attention. You know, if you're growing, you know, anything above 10% is good, but certainly in that 15 to 20% month over month, it's going to get our attention. Uh, as you're, you know, get closer to that million dollar ARR milestone, um, you know, that certainly would get our attention. Got it. Um, so if you, if the email said, uh, we, you know, 17% average month over month growth last three months. Uh, Mr. Sachs, I saw you on Jason's podcast. Right. Um, we built SaaS software for blank. Yes. And, uh, we are 62% of the way on our current run rate to hitting your million dollars. Would love to uh, take a deeper dive into it. Even a short email like that's going to make you click on the link. Sh- shorter is better. I mean, Why? all you really have to say, well, because all, uh, because all I really need to know is that you believe you're the early category leader in, you know, X SaaS business software, and that you're kind of getting close to what we call a Series A milestone, which would be, you know, a million dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars of ARR, and that you're growing at that month over month growth rate. That's all I need to know in the email to know that we should take a look at it, and then you know the team's gonna. So you there's know, no reason me or for someone you, on the team's going to look at it. There's no reason for me to write three paragraphs about my last two failed startups. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is the email we get, right? I mean, and it's amazing how founders work against their own best interests. The, even the ones who have the goods, 
will write right. three or four paragraphs of their life story and right. y- it's TLDR. It's too long, you know, and, right. and they the people forget you know, how many or, emails we get. Yeah. Or, you know, the first couple of paragraphs will be talking about how much they love my blog on XYZ, which, you know, I'm happy about, but that doesn't, you know, it's, I, it, it doesn't matter, right? It's yeah, not one it's sentence. Not okay. Read your blog yeah. post about X. It resonated with me. Right. Then let's get to t- brass tacks. Right. And the timing in which you in you contact an investor is so important. I mean, I, I don't know how many emails do you get with people saying I have an idea or I'm building a product and they just haven't launched it yet. Yeah, I mean I get I, I get a zillion of these emails, but I get very very few that are in the format that I mentioned and um it's such an unlock. Yeah. It's well, it's an unlock if you actually have those metrics. I mean, I, I, I wonder if the reason I don't get those emails because most companies don't, most startups don't have those metrics. It is hard. I mean, I, we've been very intentional about telling people, hey, if you have 10, five, 10 customers and five to 10K in revenue, even as little as 2K, we'll talk to you about the accelerator. Um, and, and that's really helped us with the true north. And I think you just saying explicitly, hey, when you're trending towards a million and if you're over 10, but you know, more mm-hmm. in the 15, that's good. You know, if you just keep putting it out there, it does work. Now, we've gotten through uh, finance and sales, being in cadence on a right. quarterly basis, starting right. with the, you know, February 1st quarter. So you don't get caught up in the crazy end of your rush when people ask for discounts. Now we, right. we got marketing. We got the 10 poll event. We're working backwards. But the product we have not gotten right. to yet. And we all know that right. at the end of the day, you have to have a great product, correct? There's no great product. There's no yeah. business. There's no way around that. There's no way around it. It's table stakes. Yeah. So it's, it's the it's the uh, raison d'etre. Use another French word. Okay. Of having so, a startup in the first place is to build a product that does that is net new to the world. Right. And for those of you who don't speak French, raison d'etre <laughs> means the raisin of the day, the most beautiful raison mm, that you eat. So it, it means reason for being. Ah. Yes, so another translation of it, another translation. <laughs> There's no actual raisin. raisins. There's no actual raisins in it. There's no raisins in raisin d'etre? <laughs> that was the ra- when you. I thought that's how they made Wheaties. They put some raisins in there one day. Okay. Ah, you know what? This is like deja vu all over again. I still don't understand French. I've been trying for years. Okay, prod- what, do we, what do founders in yeah. SaaS companies need to know about product cadence? Okay, so- Good product management is like filling a jar with rocks, pebbles, and sand. Have you ever seen people try to do this? You've got kind of like big rocks, might be like the size of your fist, and then there's like smaller pebbles, and then there's sand. Well, in product terms, the rocks are like the uh, new products. They're sort of tentpole products or features. They're the big stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, That's they're, they're cyber truck. That, cyber, yes, for sure. That would be like, you know, a big rock. Um then you've got features, which are you know important and take time. They're not not quite the level of like a temple, but they're certainly very important. Self driving two point Yes, exactly. It's usually a um, you know and some new version of something that already exists. Um, it's some some better some some new and improved um, version of, of something you've already of a product line you've already got. And then you've got sand, which are the bug fixes, the UI fixes, usability improvements. It's the polishing. Mm. Um, no one cares. So, Nobody even notices, probably. Well, it matters in the aggregate quite a bit, right? Okay, and it might matter. It might matter in terms of reducing your customer service caseload, which might have an important impact on your ah. gross margins 
and things like that. So it certainly matters in the aggregate, but no one of them typically matters all that much. It's certainly not something you would make news over. You wouldn't. It's not going to be some. Fixing something is not something you do at your tentpole event. It's not something you do in a press release. It's something you quietly do to polish it up. That's right. So that less calls come into support and less people churn. Yeah. So for every 20 of those you do, you might save 1% of churn or something. So it's right. critically important, but it's- It a, all adds up. It all, all, adds, all up. adds up. All adds up, but it's not going to be something that's on the main stage. Got um, it. Okay. So, so that's product management. And what you want to do with product management is you want to um, put the rocks in the jar first. You want to plan those first. So the way you fill the jar is you do the big stuff first, the rocks, the pebbles, then the sand. If you try to fill- the jar with sand first, what you find is that somehow the rocks just don't fit. And what happens in companies, startups that don't have effective product management is that either they just never do the rocks, they just never get around to shipping new temple features, they only ship sand, they only end up doing small stuff, um, or they will try to do the rocks, but they will just be wildly overscheduled. You know, Got one it. of those big temple features that was supposed to take one quarter will be, you know, quarters late. You'll still mm. be talking about it in that board meeting two or three quarters later. Uh, yeah, there you go. So you see in this screenshot here, uh, the, the jar on the left put the sand in first and the rocks don't fit. The other jar did the rocks first, the sand fits. So you want to plan the rocks on a quarterly cadence to make sure that they get done. And you also want to do that to make sure that they're scoped correctly. Mm. Because the reason why, like these big, rocks end up being years late is no one scoped them correctly because they weren't on a quarterly product management cadence. They just basically assigned projects whenever they felt like it. And you just expected them to get done whenever. Which in the throwing spaghetti, you know, mm -hmm. winding first year trying to find product market fit, it's fine to wake up one day as a CEO or the founder and say, wait a second, I figured it out. Stop what you're doing. Right. We're going to do this. Drop everything. Drop everything. This right. is, we have to test this and know in the next two weeks if this works. Because if it does, it's the game changer of all game changers. Right. That's right. And that's okay, yeah. right? That's year that's, one. That's totally okay. Year one is all about finding silver bullets. Um, Got it. And so you don't want that overhead. You do want the flexibility to be able to drop everything and go all in on that new greatest idea that you came up with. How do you, you communicate know, to the team since this has come up? Hey, we're moving from, you know, drop everything mode and now we're going to be having this cadence mode. Do you do a kickoff meeting or does it just happen organically? Well, you got to remember that the the team is is growing. And so what's going to happen is you're you're in the process of making this transition from this very spontaneous founder directed mode of operating and now you're in the 50 and then hundreds of employees. And so what typically happens is that the chaos reaches such a crescendo in the company that Everybody seems to cry out at once, we need a COO. The board says it, the founders say it, they're all like, this is just too chaotic. We need to get somebody in here to help us manage this. And you know, maybe that would help, but my point is that if you put your sharp on the cadence, that if you use that this operating philosophy I'm talking about, you will actually, you, you may not need that person. Right, the, that person is typically the person who would implement the system perhaps or give people the right. feeling of this, but it's actually not that complicated the way it's you explain it. It's, it's, right. it's overly complicated. It's in a way, having this discussion with you reminds me of discussions I've had with people about growth and trying to add growth to a startup. People sometimes say, hey, we just need the growth person. 
right. then other people say, well, maybe what you need is a growth mindset. So you don't have a growth right. person come in and, and just look at the whole company and say, here's what you each need to do. You have each person understand right. where the churn is happening in their part of the product, et cetera, and everybody right. moves to a growth mindset. Is that yeah. correct in that? Yes, yes. I mean, so so it's for any startup problem, it's possible to posit that there's a perfect hire who can fix it for you. But as soon as you say that, and, and so, you know, most board meetings that I've been in, it always devolves into hiring uh, into a hiring conversation because the board identifies all these problems and then it's like, well, who's going to fix them? And then the company says, well, we don't have anyone to fix them. And then you start talking about hiring people to fix them. And the problem with that is you're essentially deferring the solution to the problem. Ugh. I mean, once you identify what the problem is, you should just be able to fix it. You shouldn't have to hire someone to fix it for you. Nothing um, is that complicated. I mean, if we were talking right. about I mean, perhaps if you're in a startup that needs to do something in computer vision and artificial intelligence that is so niche that you got to use LinkedIn Talent Job Solutions, LinkedIn.com slash twist to do it and get $50 off, you, maybe. All of a sudden I'm talking about was learned on the job, just learning by doing. Just do it. And, you know, this white knight, you know, uh, Superman's going to land. Spider-Man's going to come out of the shadows. Batman is going to swing in and, uh, you know, ride his Batmobile in and save the day. It's unnecessary. You already got 10 people or 20 people. You got 50 people in the company. Just solve it. Right. And you also don't have time to to wait Ugh, to find that uh, unicorn hiring hire. Hiring slow. Yeah. It could take weeks, months. Then somebody turns over. You lose right. a candidate. Okay. What right. else on product do do founders need to know, know as, we, as we've rounded third base here? Yeah. So- you know, I like Jeff Bezos' two pizza rule at, at Yammer, the way which is basically that you know every feature they worked on um, it had to be done by a team that was no bigger than could be fed by two pizzas. Um, at at Yammer, our the way we implemented this rule was that we said that any project would have uh, between two and ten engineers, so ten at the absolute max for two to ten weeks. So the absolute biggest strategic priority in the company could get ten engineers for ten weeks. That's it. And, you know, maybe that would, that's a lot, by the way, that's a lot of resources. We might've had one or two of those a year. Um, so everything had to be shippable within 10 weeks. And we forced all of our products, all those big rocks to be scoped down to the point where they could be shipped within 10 weeks. And that helped improve the reliability of our, um, of our release dates tremendously. It also that, helps, doesn't yeah. it also help with morale? Because, mm -hmm. you know, if, if, it is something that is so big in scope, you just never get to feel like you accomplished anything. It's better to right. break it up, right? Yes, you you MVP it. You right? MVP you just, it. Right. You 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 shrink it down into an MVP, and that allows you to get customer feedback, so you don't you know end up over investing in a product that people don't actually want. Again, it's a very good thought experiment to think about what's the most MVP version of this, how do we get it out, and then let's see what people think about it, and then we reevaluate. And so this philosophy, this product management philosophy, ties in with the launch event very well, because you know what you do is you, you basically reverse engineer the launch. You start with a date, you send out the invitations, you declare that you're going to do this user conference, and then you basically start building towards that. And you and can't what miss. What can we build in those 10 weeks? That's right. If it yes, takes exactly. 20, then break it in two. Right. You must ship it by that launch event or you're going to miss the train. You know, yes. The, the train is leaving the station. So that is the way you work. And um, and it's it's uh, it, 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 it's it it forces a tremendous amount of discipline because 
you know, either you can declare a launch date and then scope the project to hit that launch date, or you can basically just decide what's in a product and have no release date. And that that's sort of the problem is that, you know, without the the forcing function of that release date, things don't get properly scoped and they don't people don't make effective trade-off decisions. You know, one thing you mentioned was just the hu- human nature um, and how we're wired for the seasons, how we're wired for quarterly in some way uh, or in these short sprints. Maybe you can unpack that a little bit in terms yeah. of what you've learned about human nature and work in relation to this framework. That's right. So everything we've talked about is on a quarterly cycle. You know, quarters are seasons. You know, humans are wired for seasons. I think there's fundamentally something very organic about this way of working. So let me kind of snap it all together, okay? Please. So you're going to have a fiscal year. You know, it's an accounting concept, but you're going to use it to generate your reporting. The finance team will. And your sales uh, teams are going to be on quarterly sales plans that are snapped to those fiscal quarters. So, you know, let's assume that Q1 is now going to be February, March, April. And just in to be Feb- clear, when mm-hmm. you say fiscal versus calendar, right. fiscal just means how the finance department defines three months. A year. Yeah. Or a year. It's just how, how it, that's right. When you say calendar, just it just means the calendar because people get right. caught up on what is the fiscal year. Right. That's all it means is that, you know, which, which months are we going to use in Q1? Mm-hmm. So let's assume that we use, we say Q1 is February, March, April. So that means that the quarterly close is going to be in April and the sales kickoff is going to be in February. Now, what I would do with the launch event is slotted in March. So this is the offset. And for the Mm -hmm. simple reason that you don't want to set everybody's hair on fire at the same time, you don't want the the sort of product marketing cycle, which revolves around this launch event, to be peaking at the same time that the sales finance team is sort of on that. They're hitting their kind of you being the uh, founder in this because the founder's attention is also important. It is exhausting as a founder to have to do, you know, three two hour meetings with four departments. That's right. I mean, that's 12 hours. So, if you're doing it, you know, uh, on this cadence, yeah, you know, the sales team's off, they're in there, pipeline review and, and optimization and check, but we're getting ready for the launch of the new product. Right. Right, exactly. So so what ends up happening is under this system, when you snap it all together, month one of the quarter is very dominated by planning. You've got this idea of sales kickoff. I would also always do my board meetings in that first month of the quarter, right after for the finance team closes the books so that's on the, the 15th. previous quarter. Take that's 10 right. days, I, 15 days? I, I would always do it in the second or third week of the quarter. Why? Because the data is still fresh. Mm-hmm. You want the, the board to look at the freshest sales data as soon as it gets reported out. Mm. That makes total uh, sense, right? And then on the heels of that board meeting, you're gonna you're gonna basically um, you're gonna be, uh, reprioritize your overall product roadmap. So you're gonna take those strategic insights that you just had at the board meeting. You're gonna reprioritize the roadmap, not for the current quarter because your launch event's about to be in a few weeks, but for the following quarter. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's month one is dominated by the idea of planning. Then you go to month two. Month two is dominated by the idea of this launch event. Right. Mm. So the first couple of weeks of the qu- of the month, month two, the, the, you're finalizing the event details, you're finalizing the marketing collateral, you're finalizing the presentations. There's a lot of work that goes into that. It's, you know, marketing centric work. And then on the heels of that launch event and say the second or third week of month two, right in the middle of the quarter, you're going to do a lot of debriefing. You know, you've just had this big launch. How did it go? You're going to take all the customer learnings that you just got through all those conversations and you're going to, you know, feed them back into the company and internalize that. Hmm. Okay. 
And then month three is, and then, you know, and then immediately right after that, um, that launch event, the engineering team's going to start working on the next quarter's release, right? right? And so month three is this very heads down period in the company where the engineers are focused on coding and the sales people are focused on closing. And it's this, it's basically, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's closed. It's a it's it, a time for it's heads quiet down. time. It's quiet that nice time, quiet no time. No distractions uh, on the not right now list, etc. Um, right. What have you learned about board meetings uh, and financing the ability to raise money when a company does adopt this? Well, everything just gets a lot more predictable. I mean, that's really what you want is to have um, you know more predictability, um, and you know you want your your board to weigh in when the numbers are fresh, right? So, you know, if you, if you don't do your board meeting, if you do your board meetings in say month two or three of the quarter, then either you're further away from the last, you know, from, from the last uh, fresh data. So you're two or three months away. So the data you have isn't as fresh or, um, you know, or it's, it's um, rough estimates. Yeah. Or it's rough estimates. You're, you're dealing with say a half, half-baked quarter right and so then you get the excuses oh maybe it's actually we always do better towards the last six weeks anything can change or we're off to a strong start but i don't know if it's going to keep up right it just becomes this sort of circular madness right Um, yeah exactly so and then this the, the last piece of it is is all hands meetings which you know is a very important way especially as a company gets bigger and bigger for you to keep everyone coordinated is to have you know a steady stream of all hands meetings and what the cadence does is give you the topics for those meetings right. so so immediately right after the end of the quarterly close i think it's a really good idea for the ceo to go in front of the company and explain how we just did mm-hmm. right like what were the numbers how do we do exactly what were the sales results okay yeah then you're going to have a board meeting and right after that i like going in front of the company and recapitulating the strategy of the company, right? Mm. So because board is, you know, board means are a time to take a 30,000 foot view of the company and, you know, think about your strategy. So I like the idea of after the board meeting, you present that strategy to the board. If it hasn't changed in the last three months, that's fine. There may be a lot of new employees who need to hear the the strategy of the company, but maybe there's some adjustments that you're making and you need to explain that. Mm. Then you've got the launch event coming up. And what I like to do is I like to put the product manager's in front of the company and you preview what's going to happen at that launch event. You tell people what's coming. Okay. And then after the launch event, you do a big company wide debrief. How did it go? You know, what was the reaction? You know, the marketing department might show press highlights. Um, you know, it's, but you basically do a big debrief and you feed those insights back into the company. And Should all hands be so, monthly, weekly, or every two weeks? Because I, I, you know, in the early days of Google, they were doing weekly. I think Facebook, I think, was doing it twice a month. Is there some right. cadence to that that you buy into, or is it just the stylistic preference of the of the founder? Um, I think you know every two weeks is fine. I think you know weekly is fine too. But um, but I think that if you want to do it as frequently as weekly, what I'd recommend is that every other all hands, you get somebody else in the company to go up and present. Got it. So ah. I think it's I think it's good for the company to hear, you know, especially as the company gets bigger and bigger, right? You get this compartmentalization. People don't know what's happening in other parts of the company. I think it's very useful for people to hear from the engineering leader, the sales leader, the, you know, analytics leader, and so on down the line. They can tell the whole company what's happening in their teams. So that's what I would do, because I think it gets to be a little bit much if the 
founder CEOs is getting up there every single week. Yeah, that's, too that's much. A lot of con- you also much. you run out of things to say. Therefore, right. what you say is diluted. That's therefore, right. you just sound like you're droning on. You know, right. it just becomes too much. Right, uh, David. This is just a. Uh, it's your best. It's your best piece of work. And writing is. Uh, I I always tell people, you know, writing is clarity of thought, and you clearly have nailed it with this one. And so we're going to link in the show notes to the piece. Uh, and we thank you again for taking the time to be on the podcast for the seventh time. Also, yeah. uh, David is part of the quartet uh, that we do the All In podcast with. So we just taped episode five, uh, and you can all check that out. Just do a search for All In uh, with Chamath, Jason, uh, and uh, Sachs and Friedberg. Great job, and uh, really appreciate you doing anything we missed. No, I think we got it. I think we nailed it, right? Let's keep it tight. Let's keep it tight. (laughs) Tight is right. All right. We'll see everybody next time on This Week in Startups. Bye-bye.